Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined by the one and only Eric Henry. I'm all choked up. Eric, you got me all choked up. <laughs> I'm Eric, <also> more, Pip. <laughs> Eric Henry of Horns247.com. We are here to uh, preview Texas's trip to Ames, Iowa. And Eric... Uh, Texas nine and one, six and one in the Big 12, alone atop the Big 12. But Iowa State is looming, and they are uh, one of the teams tied for second with two conference losses. So they see this as a golden opportunity to completely jumble up the Big 12 standings. And of course, we've learned now that Texas will be without running back Jonathan Brooks, their uh, backup turned starter who has run for 1,139 yards um, and just been a, a blessing. Uh, one of the best surprises, not only for Texas football, but in the Big 12 and college football, and Jonathan Brooks tears his ACL in the 29-26 win at TCU. And how does that impact your outlook for the Longhorns in this game Saturday night, night game in Ames, 6.30 on Fox? Um, Eric, how does uh, Jonathan Brooks' injury impact your your thoughts on Texas in this game? Chip, I don't want to sound as if I've ever taken Jonathan Brooks for granted, right? Um, how do you take a guy who had he, you know, continued his pace through the end of the year, you'd have to put him in there as a dark horse Heisman candidate, a guy who we're talking about from various draft prognosticators being arguably the top running back off the board. Had he chosen to go that route and stayed healthy? How do you take that guy for granted? However, um, I definitely think, at least for me, it's kind of been a you don't know what you have until it's gone. And maybe that is a byproduct chip of the fact that JB didn't open the air as a starter. Right. Uh, I think some of this was just like, man, you know, we didn't even expect Jonathan Brooks to be the guy, at least coming out of, out of spring camp. It was CJ Baxter. But how does his loss affect my feelings on this game? Look at no further chip than. That 73-yard screen pass that, you know, he gets tripped up at the end, almost takes it to the house. Things like that, that big play ability at any time, that's what I think the offense loses the most. And in addition, you know, I've written about it a ton for the site and the fact that JB has been consistent, one of the tops in the nation per pro football focus in terms of forcing missed tackles, making that first man miss, which I cannot emphasize enough. When you get past high school football, when you're when you stop just being faster than everybody else or, you know, more elusive than everybody else or stronger than everybody else and you get to this level, you have to make a guy miss. Right. Like the, there's just an expectation as a running back. When you get to the NFL, you got to be able to do pass pro. And of course, in Steve Sarkeesian's system, you got to be able to do pass pro. But you got to be able to make that first guy miss. And Jonathan Brooks, just take a look at the rushing numbers. You know, C.J. Baxter's first two games and 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 Chip, I, I, I want to. Definitely get your thoughts on this, but I think given the fact that we've seen so many freshman running backs, freshman phenoms, you know, come out and hit the ground running as far as running backs, I think we take it for granted. The fact that a true freshman back, it can be a little bit hard 
making that adjustment from the high school level to the collegiate level. You know, CJ Baxter was not making guys miss in his two starts. And then he got banged up. That played a factor, whereas JB hit the ground running. And, and that goes back to his time, even, you know, as a backup. In, in, in the brief time that he played, he, he showed an ability to force missed tackles. That has been, you know, done wonders for Texas's run game, especially as the offensive line gone, went through the shuffle. DJ Campbell coming in, certain guys getting banged up, you know, kind of finding their footing. You knew that Jonathan Brooks, if you gave him the ball, you're going to get at least five, five and a half, six yards and be able to make a guy miss and turn something that could be a four-yard run into an eight-yard run, maybe a three-yard run to a six-yard run, and then get to the second level of the defense. So that's what I think that the offense is going to miss with JB. Now the question is, Chip, has C.J. Baxter shown some ability to develop and, and improve in the last eight, nine weeks? And if you take a look at the numbers, and, and at least in brief spurts, it looks as if he's finally finding his footing, Chip. But like I said, I want to give it back to you on, on, on you know, really get your thoughts on this. Two-part question one, you know, have we seen an improvement from CJ as the RB2, especially as of late? And B, Chip, in your time covering college football, I mean, do we kind of take the adjustment from the, you know, the, the prep game to the collegiate game for granted? Because we've seen so many freshmen, phenom running backs just hit the ground and maybe we think, all right, CJ Baxter is the – top-rated running back recruit in, in, in the class. He should be that next guy. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think C.J. Baxter um, benefited from uh, – he had that 54-yard touchdown run on fourth and one against Kansas State, and I think that, um, you know, probably gave him some confidence because we were talking to the players yesterday and – and Christian Jones was talking about how uh, Jonathan Brooks hit that 60 yard run in his first start against Wyoming. And it was probably like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I can do this. And, um, or excuse me, the 54 yard run was against BYU, wasn't it? Um, so CJ Baxter has that, you know, big long run against B BYU and it probably gives him some confidence. The thing that concerns me most going into this game Saturday night in Ames is blitz pickup and pass protection. CJ Baxter picked up um, the blitz on the, the 35 yard fade route on third and 12 that Texas hit to basically seal the win. Can he do it every time? Because we know that Quinn Ewers was, is not, is not a hundred percent. Quinn was really good about throwing the ball away so that he didn't, take any sacks he was not sacked against TCU but with his you know recovery from the AC joint sprain and I know Steve Sarkeesian's like oh yeah we've seen no effects of the AC joint sprain he's looking great we saw Quinn you know kind of holding the shoulder a little bit he's not he's not 100 percent and he's gonna have to play with this injury it's gonna get a little better each each week but not a ton better probably won't really um, calm down until he stops playing football. But that's my biggest concern, Eric, because you just can't afford to have anything go wrong with Quinn Ewers right now. Um, You'd love to, you know, that three, three, five, three, eight cloud defense that Iowa state plays invites you to run. They want you to run. 
And if you have a back like Jonathan Brooks, like you said, who can force that missed tackle, make the first guy miss, get you, you know, four or five yards, average five yards of carry. And you can do that against Iowa State. Man, your life gets a whole lot easier. Quinn Ewers may have to win this game with his arm. And that means you better protect that guy because um, the one thing you don't want is to have to bring in Malik Murphy in against the best three high safety defense probably in college football. This is the the team that introduced that 3-8 cloud against Texas back in 2017. Um, Shane Bouchelle was the quarterback then, and Texas barely got out of Ames with a 17-7 win. And we know that since then, it's been tough. Texas has lost their last two games in Ames. So um, this is that that's my biggest concern right now. I mean, I, Jonathan Brooks, super productive. I think Jaden Blue and CJ Baxter, even Keelan Robinson can, you know, come up with uh, enough runs. You'd hope to, to sustain the drive. Of course, we're coming off a game where Texas was two of eight um, on third and three or shorter. That's not good. Um, so there are there are concerns, but my biggest concern right now is you've got to protect Quinn Ewers because he may have the experience having faced Iowa State last year. And again, Texas needed a fourth and goal whip route from Xavier Worthy for the game winning points. And then they also needed a forced fumble from uh, the defense recovered by Jalen Ford as Iowa State was entering the Texas red zone with a chance to either tie or win the game uh, on Iowa State's last possession. So this was, you know, that was Hunter Decker's playing quarterback. Now you've got Rocco Becht, the, you know, the young guy, the young gun who's getting better by the day. Um, it's going to be, I think this is going to be everything Texas wants uh, in terms of a, a challenge. Uh, and Texas has been, you know, building up these big leads and then eking out victories, Eric. They Their margin for error in this one is going to be really small. Chip, if you ask me, you know, what my greatest concern is, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but you said it there, right? Two for eight, third, third down and short, third down and in, in, in three and two and less. How many times have we said on this podcast? When you got to run the football to pick up some yards, can you do it? And I will say this in Steve Sarkeesian in the offense's defense. You know, I've crunched those numbers a ton throughout the year. The only caveat is how aggressive Sark has been on fourth down. So you almost have to cluster those third and fourth down attempts together, right? Because you can make the argument that maybe their, you know, their third down call isn't truly their quote unquote third down call, right? If you know you're going to go for it on fourth. Um, and Steve Sarkeesian, uh, at least entering last week's game, I have not looked at the numbers since, but they were converting fourth down something like 62.8%, which had them in the top third of college football. With that being said, Chip, um, this is just my opinion, my feeling. I, I, I'm not trying to take away Stark, Sark's stinger. I think you can be selectively aggressive on the road going for it on a fourth down. I think you can do that at home a little more at a higher clip than, than, than you can on the road. That ain't necessarily a recipe in my mind to walk into a night game at Jack Tri Stadium and say, all right, we're going to go for it 
five, I'm just gonna throw out a number five times on fourth down. I, I don't think that's that's sustainable. Um, a chip, because we've talked about this here. Let's say they convert three of those, right? The the secondary issue for the Texas offense has been converting those, uh, excuse me, turning those conversions into touchdowns, right? Because you're only getting so much if you take that conversion and then the drive stalls in the red zone, you're selling for a Burt Auburn field goal. You're still, especially on the road, that's a momentum shift, a momentum win for the defense, a momentum shift for the home team. Now, again, let's say you go three for five on fourth down. Ideally, you turn all those into touchdowns, but you get stopped twice. Depending on where you get stopped, Chip, those are huge momentum shifts for the other team. And we saw that, again, earlier this year, right? So that is a concern for me as far as just, you know, staying on schedule. And Sark said it during his presser that, you know, they emphasized putting themselves in second and manageable and third and manageable. And then you you, you manage to do that, but then you're not taking advantage of that early down success by turning those things into situations where you have to, where you can stay out of fourth down. So that's a concern to me. And one other thing, I just want to come back to the run game against, again, I think you made all, all excellent points in terms of, um, you know, Jonathan Brooks and what he's brought to, to the team. I really implore, and, and, you know, I'm going to try to touch on this, you know, chips talked about, I think we've all talked about it on the site, but I implore if you, if you haven't gone to Horns 24 seven, take a look at some of the things we've written. Um, I know I, I published something recently, it's in spurts, Chip. It's not in the same 20 to 25 carry, you know, um, uh, sample size that Jonathan Brooks has had. But C.J. Baxter has shown signs of doing some of the things that you talked about that you're concerned about better. You know, Christian Jones, what did he call him? Uh, Big Tony blocks, right? In terms of not being, you know, when that blitz, uh, that blitz comes and it's C.J.'s time to pick it up, he's not, you know, cutting them low. He's, you know, He's a big man, six foot one, 218 pounds, square in his shoulders, taking on those, those blitz pickups, right? So that aspect, even things like the pass game, the receiving game, right? Where again, Jonathan Brooks, you know, once a game, it might not be the 73 yard screen pass. Excuse me, I almost knocked over my iPhone. And I'm I'm living dangerously without a without a case here. So, you know, that's what caused me to jump and almost show some some Jonathan Brooks like reflexes on that one. But he, he might not take it, Chip, you know, 73 yards for a touchdown. But JB sometimes will get a screen pass and turn that into a first down conversion, a third and six, third and seven, you get a first down conversion. CJ Baxter, again, in limited time, but he's got eight catches over the last six games, right? So he's showing some decent hands out of the backfield. And again, I think he's starting to get a feel for the collegiate game that if his just pure athleticism and explosiveness, uh, that, uh, that explosive ability can match up with then a knowledge of the game and understanding how to do it well, Maybe I'm just being cautiously optimistic, Chip, but I'm hoping that this is a guy who can, again, actualize that potential that made him the number one back out of camp. Yeah. I mean, look, if if you've got a competitive bone in your body, you know what is on the table. And C.J. Baxter is a smart kid. He's got a high football IQ. He knows what is on the table here. It's continuing to control your own destiny en route to playing for and winning a Big 12 championship. Let's be honest. Texas is the favorite to win the Big 12 championship because they're the best team. Now, they're fighting through some injuries here. Every team's had to do it. Um, Kansas went into Ames, Iowa at night and won, uh, what, two weeks ago. 
and they did it with their backup quarterback, Jason Bean. And so you don't, you know, you don't get to pick and choose when the injuries come and Texas survived K-State without Quinn Ewers. And, you know, this is where Steve Sarkeesian setting the mind of this football team is going to be so important because the last time Texas went to Iowa State, it was uh, a completely different scenario. Obviously, uh, Sarkeesian was in his first year but the team was leading seven to three in the third quarter. And then the dam broke. Iowa state ran a double pass for a touchdown. Um, and it, that's all it took And Texas hung its head. They ended up getting on the team bus. Uh, some guys were laughing. Texas defensive line coach, Bo Davis went off. Some former player recorded it. It got out. Everybody saw it. I think that rant, by Bo Davis endeared him to uh, most of Longhorn Nation at that point because uh, that was the middle of a six-game losing streak for Texas, the longest since the 1950s. So um, it was it was a bad memory, and a lot of guys um, on this football team remember that trip. And so there should be a level of fed upness and. Uh, you know, a desire to, to, you know, right a wrong, if you will. But look, it's going to come down to execution. We know that it's going to come down to protecting the football. It's going to come down to Quinn Ewers' experience, and you got to have um, a savvy quarterback against that that uh, Iowa State defense. And the Texas defense might have to score in this game, Eric, because if you look at um, Iowa State's two losses in conference at Oklahoma. They got they got ripped 50 to 20. Um, Rocco back threw a pick six in that game on Iowa State's first possession. And Oklahoma was able to ride that momentum all the way to the end. Kansas, Rocco Beck throws a pick six at the beginning of the second quarter, allows Kansas uh, to go up. 14 nothing, 14 nothing lead against Iowa State and the ability to run the football. You're going to have, and Steve Sarkeesian talked about this on Monday, you're going to have low possessions against Iowa State because they're, they're like an anaconda. They kind of choke you. They choke you out, and then they are going to plod. They don't have, you know, they're not a, a big strike up tempo offense. They're going to huddle. They're going to pound you with their tight ends and their, you know, 200 pound running backs. They got three of them and, and they're going to, you know, try to slow this game down, turn it into a 50 possession game instead of a 70 or 80 possession game. So man, if your defense can come through, if they can impact Rocco back to get him rattled and he can throw one up, that's that would be huge because Iowa State's pretty solid everywhere else. You know, their special teams, their field goal kickers, what, 18 of 22. He's kicked one from 56, from 51. I think he's made 11 straight, just like Bert Auburn. Their punters averaging 44 yards per punt, kind of like Ryan Sanborn. And, you know, Jalen Noel, uh, their receiver, their leading receiver by receptions, is a threat in the return game. 
he's got a 39-yard punt return, a 72-yard kick return. So, you know, this is a game where Texas is they cannot beat themselves. And and so let's see how how dialed in they can be. You know, some of these road games where you're sitting around all day in the middle of nowhere, it can, you know, drop your energy. This is a this is a game where Texas needs to hit the field with the same kind of energy they had in Tuscaloosa. Chip, it's it's funny you mentioned the fact that, you know, they're starting a redshirt freshman quarterback and, and Rocco Becht. And seemingly when you take a look at this Iowa State team, they're pretty solid, fundamentally solid all the way around. And, you know, I, maybe it was, and I talked about this with you a little bit before recording, maybe it was my own expectations of this Iowa State team coming off a tough year last year. And then, of course, all of the things off the field that they were dealing with, I just thought that, you know, hey, give credit to Matt Campbell. You know, I thought that they would, quite frankly, fold. I mean, I just didn't see a way that they could transition that into a productive year on the field. And the fact of the matter is, granted, the Big 12 has certainly been a bit of a crapshoot this year. You know, Texas had their loss to Oklahoma, and then we thought, all right, Oklahoma's in position to kind of make around some things, and they've faltered a little bit, right? So the entire conference as a whole has been a bit up and down, but Iowa State has managed to, you know, right when, again, when I felt – they were not really in a position to have any real success, found a way to have a, a solid team. Now, bringing it back to Beck, it's it's funny. You know, um, he's a guy who, you know, first off, shout out to my old high school coach, Mark Canner. Uh, he played for my old high school coach. So I just just got the phone with his old high school coach. And, of course, he's the, the son of former New York Jet, Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneer tight end, Anthony Beck, who was a first-round pick. If my memory serves me correct out of West Virginia. I, I might, might be giving him a couple, couple rounds. I thought he was a first-round pick. Um, maybe I'm mixing up with with another uh, with Kyle Brady. Uh, I know the Jets had a couple first round tight ends there back in the early 2000s. Nevertheless, just spoke with with both of them. And Chip, one of the things that you know they emphasized was his maturity. And I, you know, you kind of expect to hear that. Obviously, you know, talking about your son, talking about your former high school quarterback. But I asked several players, you know, before I, I spoke to both of them. Uh, during Monday's availability, what stood out to them? And they said the thing, he can make all the throws, you know, some of the things we normally hear. But they also talked about the fact that he he doesn't appear like someone who's only entering his eighth or ninth start. Both Jade Barron and Jalen Ford talk about the fact that he doesn't, you know, come off on film like someone who's who's early in his career. So, the, you know, now granted, he has not faced the front four like Texas is. And, and, you know, his pops and I did have a, a quick laugh about that. We're on the phone saying, you know, he's he, you're getting early in your career. And he said, hey, I know Texas is going to be a challenge because that front four is pretty solid. So we'll see if they're able to rattle him. But again, you know, if there's one thing seemingly he's not going to be, um, the stage won't seemingly be too big for him. Yeah. And that's, they've got, Texas has to make Rocco back uncomfortable, in my opinion, to, you know, to win this game. I mean, that's got to be part of the formula for success. You can't let um, a retro freshman quarterback, uh, work you over and he's going to have the advantage of playing at home. He's got, I mean, they're pretty healthy. Um, so, you know, Iowa state, they just went up to Provo, Utah and pounded on BYU and Provo's not an easy place to play. Now this BYU team was playing without Keaton Slovis, their quarterback. And it, it was a mess for, for BYU's offense, but still, you know, 
Iowa State came off the loss at home to Kansas, went to BYU, took care of business, and here they are um, in in that logjam uh, for second place with Oklahoma State and K State, trying to trying to backdoor their way into the into the Big Twelve title game. So this, I think, is going to be a, a really good challenge for the for the Texas Longhorns in terms of you know. Look, Rocco Beck's going to have to throw the football to have success. Um, Iowa State's running game isn't great. And, you know, you, 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 you cannot let another quarterback get hot in the passing game. And we saw Hunter Deckers get hot against Texas last year for Iowa State. And it just can't happen. I mean, we, we talked to the players, Jade Barron, saying – you know, I'll, I'll be talking to Jaron Thompson. Then I'll realize I got to go tell Michael Taff and Derek Williams the same things because Texas interchanges so much. Keaton Crawford uh, so much at safety. And, you know, will we see Jalen Catalan this week? That would be helpful uh, as long as he's, you know, physically able and medically cleared to play. So, you know, the, the, Mistackling, and some of this I blame on Steve Sarkeesian. I did blame him in my writings after the TCU game. He went to that run mentality two series too late where he ran it on 10 straight plays to a field goal. By by that time, he was in the fourth quarter. In the third quarter, he ran it three times, and on third and one, ran a bubble screen where he needed Xavier Worthy, pencil-thin Xavier Worthy, to throw the block against the strong safety to free Jante Cook, who got just almost decapitated on the play on third and one, one play after Jonathan Brooks had run for nine yards. This is where, you know, in that third quarter, the defense was on the field for 11 minutes. They're exhausted. Now they're in the fourth quarter. TCU's getting hot in the passing game. They're missing tackles because they're exhausted and we're in a last second situation here. So this is a game where, you know, and you heard Steve Sarkeesian really for the first time saying, we've got to be, we got to stay aggressive on defense. We got to stay aggressive. I mean, how many times do you have to see your zone defense get lit up or the miscommunication or whatever to say, you know what, we got to stay aggressive on defense because when we try to play zone, we're on our heels and it we're not as good on our heels as we are when we're we're coming forward. We're playing up. We're playing tighter coverage. So I'm expecting to see it, Eric. I mean, if Steve Sarkeesian says it and it sounded like he was a little bit fed up because we've been kind of scratching at that and he's been like, we're fine. We're fine. He didn't sound fine on Monday about it. I mean, you wrote about it. He said it looked like seven on seven out there. That's not okay. Chip, you asked Johnny Barron a great question. You kind of talked about it a little bit in, in, in your in your uh, answer there. In terms of the need to communicate to different safeties, I just want to kind of specify for the audience so they, they're they very clear on this. What Chip asked Jade was, you know, hey, because of the fact that you're rotating different safeties, right? If you tell Jaron one thing, do you almost have to repeat it again for different safeties? And again, I thought it was a really astute question because – I can see it from Jody's question. He even said, you know, yeah, so it's, it's a good question. You know, it, it's something that you do have to do. 
if you're used to think about it, right? If you're not rotating as many safeties out there and Texas for the most part from game one has rotated two, if not three pairs of safeties back there, but Jade is the main star, the main nickel, right? He doesn't change, but different guys come in. It's almost like I can understand it from a player's perspective. Well, I've said that once before, right? So is that message, you know, I've already said it, it's there. There's a look, but oh, wait a minute. It's not Jaron Thompson behind me. It's Michael Taft, it's Jalen Catalog. Keaton Crawford, it's Derek Williams, right? So I thought that point was really interesting. And then spinning it forward to what you talked about as far as Sark's answer when I asked him in terms of the pass defense, listen, guys, I mean, 600 and I believe the number is 633 off the top of my head. It's over 600 yards they've allowed in the last three second halves alone. Over 300 yards in the last three fourth quarters, or excuse me, three out of the last four. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say the last three because the last three would include the BYU game. I'm referring to Houston Kansas State and TCU are the three games I'm referring to there. And I asked him, you know, hey, is that a matter of maybe, you know, you're going to give up some yards because teams are throwing? And he said, no, as he talked about it, he said, we've got to maintain the intensity. And again, I can almost understand it from a player's perspective, right? Maintaining that mental edge, that mental sharpness, that, 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 that aggression. And okay, when you come out at zero, zero, you know, you're trying to make a play, right? As, as opposed to when you're up, 20 points and those three games that I mentioned, it's been a 21 point lead and two 20 point leads. All right. You know, you're still playing. Listen, you can't play football and not play aggressive and be intense. However, let's keep everything in front of us. You know, someone will make the tackle. We'll keep them down, keep the clock running. Well, then what does that mentality turn into? It turns into play that Steve Sarkeesian sounded most disgusted with is former Longhorn Jared Wiley, you know, picking up 46 yards and turn into, you know, Usain Bolt slash insert your, you know, I jumper of choice, jumping over, um, you know, a, a Texas defender trying to make a tackle, right? And, and said these are guys who are sure tacklers, two of our best tacklers on the team. When, when you know, on on that play against TCU, so yes, I do think that's something they'll have to maintain. And it's just again, you know, Chip, something that I think kind of goes a little bit under the radar is, and I kind of asked some of the guys this during the week. This is all new territory for them. This is being nine and one, being top ten in the nation, Big Twelve title race. CFP race. This is all new to them, right? This is all new territory. So I think ideally now this being the third time that we've kind of had to have this song and dance, as you said, Chip, they'll lock in and, and respond to the challenge of their coach. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a, and, and I thought Jalen Ford said it really well. He said, when a guy like Jonathan Brooks goes down, alarms should be going off in every player on this team that I've got to be locked in. I got to be totally dialed into what I need to be doing my job to help this team move along without Jonathan Brooks. And he's absolutely right. And you're, you know, I asked Johnny Barron, who's the guy on the sideline who's reinforcing to everybody, Hey, no letting up, no letting up. Here we go. And, you know, he said it's kind of him. You'd love it if it was Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat. That's not really their personalities. They're they're intense when they need to be, um, but they're not in-your-face guys. And so, you know, that's something that to keep an eye on as well because they got to have that. They got to have it from all their experienced leadership and we that they're, they're, it's the reason they're nine and one. It's the reason they're six and one. And 
you've got experienced leadership, you know, on the offensive line and receiver at defensive line and linebacker and nickel and, you know, Jaron Thompson, everyone talks about him being a leader and, and it's tough. It's tough to, you can't lead if you're not making plays. And so this is where, you know, Ryan Watts playmaker, not, not a real vocal guy. So, you know, this Texas team's got to pull it together and, and that's, you know, it's kind of ironic that Christian Jones brought up the five-star culture versus five-star talent comment that Brees Hall made after Iowa State came back from 10 points down to win um, 23-20 in 2020 and catapult themselves into the Big 12 title game. Texas would have been in had they won that game. And, you know, Brees Hall said afterwards, and it became a T-shirt and a saying that all of college football – you know, five-star culture beat five-star talent. And Christian Jones said, now we have both. We have the five-star culture and the five-star talent. Okay, well, this is the game you prove it. This is the game you show it. Because this is going to be a grind. You know, Iowa State wants to drag you into a four-corners type basketball game and see if you screw up. See if you get impatient. See if you make the big mistake. And then they will punish it. And this is the game where Texas, with all of its explosive weaponry on offense, has got to stay focused and dialed in and nail the details so that they're in a position either to have the lead or, you know, win this game and not have to um have that doubt enter the huddle by making a big mistake early that allows Iowa state and their crowd to get up on top of you. And so I think this is like the Sudoku puzzle of the season for Texas. And look, Quinn Ewers has seen this defense. He knows this was a problem last year. He's, he's gotta be ready and excited to, to try and solve that Sudoku puzzle because they need him and they need him the entire game Saturday night. Hey, Chip, can I ask you one question before we're going to take it or leave it? Because I've asked the players this numerous times. I realize I've never asked you this. Um, for background, Chip, I did a podcast last night hosted by former Iowa State running back fullback Jeff Woody, uh, played from 2010 to 2014. He, he talked about going two for two in his career against Texas. And unprompted, Chip, I did not lead him in any way because, you know, they were asking me questions. And he said, What's the culture at Texas? Because I remember in my two wins against them, and we had a win at DKR, and those guys would turn against each other. You just knew if you just kept it close, eventually they would falter. And I couldn't let him say that and not ask him a follow up for an example. And he said, Chip, and this is kind of what I want to get your thoughts on. He said, Yeah, you know, you'd, you'd make a play, they'd, they'd miss a run fit or, you know, miss a gap. And instead of, you know, you kind of picking your guy up and being like, All right, you know, we'll get him next time, they, they'd kind of have this look on their face like, Why didn't you pick that up? You know, Chip, is to Breeze Hall's statement, I mean, is that? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. How factual do, do, do you think that's been over the past, let's just say, decade of Texas football? Yeah, I mean, it's it has been. And that's the that's been the knock because... Texas, you're always able to recruit talent to Texas. The question is, can you get it to come together? Can you get it to fight for each other? And that's where I think Steve Sarkeesian has done a great job. And when I've been critical of Sarkeesian, it's usually as Sarkeesian the play caller, not Sarkeesian the coach, because I think Sarkeesian the coach has done a really good job. The culture Wednesdays, getting guys to tell their life story to each other, to their position coaches, having the position coaches tell their life story so that they know if they've got a position coach who's you know gone through a divorce or doesn't get to see his kids very much. And, and if you've got a player like Jonathan Brooks who lost his father and, and what's, how that's impacted him so that you know who you're actually lining up next to and not just, you know, the bluster that you hear in the locker room and the, you know, the bravado, that you really get into who these guys are. And I think Sark probably because of his own life experiences, his own adversity has really come to appreciate things like this. Um, these culture Wednesdays, because I've talked about how Dick Tomey did that for Texas back in 04, the year before they went on to win the national championship. He was a big guy, you know, in terms of getting those um, players together to, to, really get to know each other. And, and so this is where it pays off. You know, this is it. Okay. You're up against Matt Campbell, who's all about that culture. And now you've got your five-star talent. You've had these culture wins three of the last four. And, and now here we go. If you want to get to the finish line, you're going to have to go take on the the program that's, you know, been talking about its own five-star culture. And you're going to have to have that culture to win this game, in my opinion. So, yeah, it was not pretty in the past, Eric. And and I give Steve Sarkeesian a lot of credit because in the day and age of the transfer portal and NIL, when guys can be me, 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 or just in it for the money, um, I think that's been a question at Texas A&M. What is the motive for the players? Are they in it together? Do they want to win championships? Are they in it for the money? Um, And I think with what we saw this past week, Jordan Whittington is not getting a ton of uh, catches, a ton of targets, but the guy runs 40 yards down the field, punches a ball out, Xavier Worthy right behind him, dives on the loose ball, and there's that culture. There's the culture that Steve Sarkeesian has built, and – and they're going to need that same fire um, Saturday night to to pull this off, in my opinion, because um, Matt Campbell l- plays on that. He plays on the fact that, you know, culture can beat talent when culture pulls together and talent comes apart. 
Yeah, Chip, like, and I appreciate the, the background. It's something I wanted to ask because I just thought about it on the fly. I've asked all these players. I haven't asked you their perspective because it's something that I think when I first heard it, and maybe it's, you know, from my time covering, you know, the group of fives, you hear all the guys, right, talk about culture because, you know, listen, I'm, I'm not shading group of five teams, but let's just call a spade a spade. The talent isn't the same there as it is here at Texas. So maybe, you know, I've heard that line about culture so many times. I guess it almost rang hollow in a sense when I first heard it from Jordan Whittington. But, I mean, he was emphatic, Chip, Big 12 media days. He said the difference is we really rock with each other. You know, we, we, we don't just, we're not just here in the facility. We hang out outside the facility. Jade Barron talking about bringing guys, you know, excuse me, Jaron Thompson talking about bringing guys together at the, at the apartment, right, to watch film. So that to me really stood out to me. And, and to your point, just kind of bring it home here again before we transition, take it or leave it. I do think those things will matter in an environment like this because they can now say they face some adversity, right? Quinn Ewers down, they find a way to win. This will now be a time without Jonathan Brooks. You know, they've, they've faced whether it was, and, 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 and not even just the injuries, Chip, they've faced moments this year in which things didn't start out great against Rice. Things certainly didn't go up for three quarters against Wyoming. Those would have been those times in which they could have pointed fingers and said, guys, what are we doing? But this, we're Texas. It's no disrespect to Rice, but we're 30-point favorites. And they found a way to win. And that's, again, where I think as we've gotten later into the season, I'll use myself uh, uh, as specifically as an example, I've written about this, that I'm starting to give more and more credence, more and more credit to them finding a way to win as opposed to, hey, this didn't necessarily look the way we expected or even look the way that those players showed they could play to for two quarters. But in the end, they found a way to win. And, Chip, they're going to have to do that again Saturday. Yeah, and this may be a situation where it's close throughout, like we saw with Wyoming. And and maybe that keeps their attention to where they return to being that fourth quarter team as opposed to the team that gets up by 20 early and then is like, OK, we got this. And suddenly they're in a, a last second game. This could be more of that seesaw back and forth game we saw. I don't want to compare it to Alabama, but um, maybe Wyoming um, because or or Alabama. I mean, Alabama took the lead 16-13 going into the fourth quarter and it was a back and forth struggle and then Texas uh, got the big interception. They outscored Alabama 21 to 6 in the fourth quarter. Uh but Texas definitely needs to return to that fourth quarter mentality um as opposed to getting these leads and then you know, whether it's not playing as tight a coverage or not being as sharp on third and short um, and thinking it's just going to happen. Everybody's got to be dialed in max intensity, max focus. And that's what Sark was talking about last week saying, we got to work on our killer instinct, you know, put teams away. Let's see. Let's see how they do. All right. You ready for some take it or leave it. I am absolutely ready. Ready. <laughs> you know, it's got a long week. I'm heading to, Des Moines on Thursday. I just got off a of basketball Zoom. Let's try this again, Chip. I'm absolutely ready for some take it or leave it. All right. Let's do it. All right. Welcome back to the flagship podcast. It is time for some take it or leave it. Eric, All right. How so did we do as, last week? 
Yeah, yeah, Chip. As, as we said, right, we're going to start scoring ourselves because it, it's only fair. So here were the three questions for, you know, people who may not remember what they were. First one, Texas runs the ball 50 times Saturday night at TCU. Take it or leave it. Second, if it's Malik Murphy at quarterback, he has his first turnover-free game as a Longhorn. Take it or leave it. And lastly, Texas's defense forces three turnovers and holds TCU to below 100 yards rushing. Uh, we nailed two of them because we said leave it for the first and for the third. Obviously, the second ended up being the return of the mighty Quinn. So we get a mulligan on that one, Chip. But overall, uh, not a bad start, two for two. So let's uh, let's see what we got this week, CB. All right. Well, let me uh, let me throw this one at you. Uh, without Jonathan Brooks, Texas runs for at least 150 yards as a team with one touchdown rushing at Iowa State Saturday night. Take it or leave it. I said in the early part of this podcast that I was cautiously optimistic about C.J. Baxter and the run game as a whole. And Chip, I'm I'm taking it. I think. I'm going to be very specific here. See, we can call each other out on this coming back next week. I think CJ Baxter gets his first 100 yard game. I don't know where the TD comes from. I don't know if that's Jaden Blue or Savion Red or CJ himself, but I think CJ Baxter gets his first 100 yard game. And listen, that's a tall task because this is the number three run defense in the Big 12, number one in terms of overall yardage per game, Big 12 defense. But I think Texas is going to find a way and want to establish not only CJ himself, but as a team with Steve Sarkeesian, that Jonathan Brooks is a massive loss. There's no downplaying the loss that he is and will be. But we're up to the task of replacing him. So I'm taking it, Chip. What about you? Okay. Yeah, I think this is going to be right at the number, I, actually. I think, I think it's going to be right at 150 yards rushing. I get a little uh, – I reach for the Tums. When it comes to how much Steve Sarkeesian's going to actually run the football, um, because we know he loves the weapons that he has in the passing game. He loves Quinn. He loves Worthy. He loves A.D. Mitchell. He loves J.T. Sanders. Um, I think this is going to be right at the number. So I'm going to take this as well. I am not as uh, optimistic as you are about C.J. Baxter running for 100 yards. If if that happens, I think uh, there's, I think that signals a Texas victory. But turnovers are going to play a role. We know that, so uh, I will take this as well, Eric. Second one, CB. Let's throw it up here. Texas has to win the turnover battle on Saturday. Take it or leave it. Yeah, I think this is a, I think this is a take it. You know, whether it's a, a one zero win in the uh in the turnover battle or or a 2-1 win like they had last week against TCU I think Texas has to win the turnover battle to win this game and here's here's the tall task Iowa State is uh number 1 in the Big 12 tied with Oklahoma in turnover margin and they're plus 9 They've only lost one fumble the entire year. Um, they only have seven interceptions and they have 15 interceptions by the Iowa state defense. So um, look, they know exactly what they're doing. 
John Haycock, the defensive coordinator at Iowa State, is, um, you know, he's an innovator and he's really gotten his his guys to to figure out how to execute this defense at a high level. So I'm going to take this. Eric, how about you? I am taking it. I do believe Texas has to win the turnover battle. I, I don't necessarily feel as confident that they will. If you just take a look again, when long runs of forced turnovers, they've come in clusters, two games with three, a couple games with two. But I think Iowa State is going to do everything in their power to hang on to the football offensively. Rocco Beck, again, part of what's made him just you know a really interesting guy here in the Big 12 is for a first-time starter, he's two to one, TD to INT. You know, he is not turning the football over at a high clip. They're not going to, you know, put him in positions, especially offensively, to turn the ball over. So I'm a little unsure as to whether Texas will, but do they need to in order to secure a win? You betcha. Absolutely, Chip. Yeah. If they don't win the turnover battle, they're going to have to, they're going to have to make plays in, you know, special teams or do something out, out of the normal box score uh, to make a play, create momentum in this game. And special teams has not been, as sharp as it's been. Now, Bert Auburn has been. He's made 11 field goals in a row, but Ryan Sanborn didn't have quite the game punting um, that he's had. And the return game hasn't been as effective as it was. And they gave up um, a, a what punt return to John Paul Richardson late in the game and then had a penalty uh, out of bounds that gave TCU a short field that they capitalized on. All right, Eric, our final ticket or leave it. Texas will need to score at least 27 points to win at Iowa State Saturday night. Take it or leave it. This one was really tough, Chip, because you take a look at Iowa State scoring average. It's 25.7 per game, right? So that's right around that mark where you say, all right, this is what your opponent's averaging. You need to hit this in order to get a, to get a dub. I'm leaving it here is why. I honestly believe, again, I'm singing the praises of Rocco Becht and how well he's performed as a redshirt freshman, how well Matt Campbell and they've been able to, to do and kind of overcoming some of the things they dealt with in the offseason. They haven't faced a defense like Texas. And I do not think that Iowa State is going to reach their season average. I see them somewhere around the 17 mark, maybe 20, but I don't see them getting to 25. So in my mind, and especially Chip, just take a look, as we talked about, throughout the last four games, the opponents shouldn't have gotten to where they got to in, in, in the point total, right? You know, the defense, if, if the whole team plays the way they're supposed to, things don't happen that way. It's BYU. They certainly didn't reach that mark of 25. Uh, the, the, the Cougars didn't against the Longhorns. So I, I think if this is, if there's any week this team is going to come out and respond and look to say that, all right, not only are we a complete team, not only are we the better team, we're going to be a, a team that plays all four quarters. I do not see Iowa State reaching that 25-point mark. So I am leaving it, Chip. What about you? Yeah, there's only been twice in the last seven meetings between Texas and Iowa State since Matt Campbell took over as head coach that either team hit 27 points. And that would be um, in 2016 when Charlie Strong was able to beat Iowa State 27 to six. And uh, two years ago when Texas went to Ames and they lost 30 to seven, otherwise it's been under it's, it's 
it's been 24 points, you know, predominantly in the low twenties. So I'm going to leave this as well. I, I think back to the Shane Bouchelle game in 2016 in Ames at night and, um, and quick stat on, uh, Iowa state at night, they are eight and six at home at night under Matt Campbell. They are, um, seven and three at night in their last 10, but they're one in three in their last four at night, including uh, a loss to Kansas this season at night at home. Um, and they lost both of their night games at home in 2022. Obviously that was a real um, disappointing season for Iowa state. They lost home games to K state and Texas tech at night. Uh, and they did beat TCU at home in a night game earlier this year. So I'm going to leave the needing to score at least 27 points. I could see this game being another, you know, 23, 21, 23, 20 on a, on a last second field goal. Uh, but clearly you can tell I'm expecting this one to be a slug fast fight in a phone booth uh, for Texas. Um, who has certainly struggled to put teams away. So, Eric, we are off to Ames, my friend. And for everybody, thanks so much for listening uh, to this episode of the Flagship Podcast, previewing Texas at Iowa State. Eric and I will be back to recap it all. Uh, until then, we'll see you over at Horns247.com. Stay safe and keep the faith. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.